We can pray together. Heavenly Father, we praise you for adopting us as your children and making us heirs of eternal life. In your mercy, you have washed us from our sins, yet clean in your sight. Yet we still fail to love you as we should and serve you as we ought. Forgive us our sins and renew us by your grace that we may continue to grow as members of Christ, in whom alone is our salvation. Amen. Just close your eyes and pray with me, please. O oh God and Father, thank you that we can come before you and thank you for blessing us so much with this opportunity to meet together and to worship you and please soften our hearts. Jesus, all through the Bible, you are painted as the word of God, speaking words of peace and comfort and power to your people. But your word is also described as a sharp sword, a polished shaft, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Your word is alive and powerful. I ask that your word be alive in me, active in my life. Cut away the areas that hinder holiness, Use your sharp sword like a scalpel, removing anything contrary to Christ. I pray you conform me to your image through your word, and may I respond like Samuel. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Amen. The reading is taken from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature but not the wisdom of this age. All of the rulers of this age who are coming to, to nothing know. We declare God's wisdom, a mystery that he has hidden and that God destined to be our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood for if they had they would not have crucified the Lord of glory however as it is written what no eye has seen what no ear has heard and what no human mind has conceived the things God has prepared for those who love him these are the things God has revealed to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. That is, what we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with sp the Spirit-taught words. 
person without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the spirit the person with the spirit makes judgment about all things but such a person is not subject to human judgment for, the, for who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him but we have the minds of Christ brothers and sisters I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit but as people who are still worldly mere infants in Christ I gave you milk not solid food for you were not yet ready for it indeed you are still not ready you are still worldly for since there is jealousy and quarreling among you are you not worldly are you not acting like mere humans for when one says I follow Paul and another I follow Apollos are you not mere human beings this is God's word to us today friends uh, and we're going to look at it together but I wonder what it would take for you to become an enlightened person for you to become an enlightened person a wise person there's some sort of options on the screen, maybe. Uh, there's lots of answers. I had a bit of a, a, a sort of search on the internet this week about how to become enlightened. This is one thing I found describing the fifth and last stage of spiritual awakening. At last, the seeker breaks through to a new stage. Visionary, transcendent, and sight beyond sight, no longer striving to see you exist in a state of unity in which seer, scenery, and that which is seen merge. Uh, a permanent shift has taken place and you awaken fully to your true identity, the infinite, immortal, unbounded God force existing everywhere and in everything. Uh, maybe you got some of that. <laughs> it took me a few reads through to try and make sense of it. Um, but that's one option, right, to become enlightened in that kind of way. But on the, on the other end of the spectrum, maybe you think that you can achieve a, kind of, a different kind of enlightenment a more rational enlightenment through detached reason and intellect to kind of think your way to wisdom. Uh, both um, Those kind of two ends of the spectrum, perhaps. And I think they both have Christianized kind of versions to them. Uh, the really enlightened Christian is the super spiritual Christian uh, who loves to talk to you about the spectacular miracles and words from the Lord and gifts uh, and perhaps who seems to float a few centimetres off the ground as they walk along. <laughs> or on the other hand, the really enlightened, wise Christian is the one who reads lots of dense books, who loves using big words that end in ology. Uh, someone who knows the deeper things, the mysteries that only the initiated few are aware of and who sort of pityingly looks down on the rest of us who don't quite understand. Now, I'm painting some caricatures here, of course, um, but uh, I'm sort of painting the extremes, but perhaps you know something of what I'm describing. 
The Corinthian church did, and we've seen this, um, maybe if you remember, if you've been with us, we've, as we've read through Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, back in chapter 1, they were a culture that had really strong views about this, about how to be enlightened and wise. Um, they were a culture, that, uh, and we read about the, uh, the Jewish people who were looking for signs for the spectacular. The Greek people were looking for wisdom, for the philosophically sophisticated arguments, for eloquent speakers. The problem was, and we've seen this all the way through, the problem was that these cultural values of Corinth were seeping into the church community. Uh, and they were a major cause of this dysfunction and, and division in the church that Paul's writing about. Uh, we've seen how, and we've seen all the way along how Paul sort of pulls the rug out from the underneath us. So it should be on the screen there um, from chapter 1, verse 22. Paul wrote this, remember? Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we, we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. So there's this reality at the centre of the Christian faith, the cross of Jesus. And it, just, it overturns all the world's ideas of power and wisdom. Uh, and Paul's been showing up this wisdom of the world so far as we've gone through. But here's, here's the thing. He, that doesn't mean he's given, given up entirely on this whole idea of wisdom. It's not as if the cross is actually foolish. He's not saying the cross is actually foolish. It's just foolish in the eyes of the world. But those eyes are blind eyes. They can't see the true and deep wisdom of the cross. So what Paul does now, as we get to this part of 1 Corinthians, is he turns from showing, he's been going on about how the cross is foolishness in the eyes of the world, and he, he kind of changes to a more positive angle, and he shows us how the cross really is true, really is true wisdom, true deep wisdom. Uh, and uh, we, Paul's already touched on this on the, on the way through, as we read uh, verse 23 of chapter 1. We preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. So real spiritual wisdom isn't the spectacular, it isn't about how many books you've read. It's all about this so-called foolish message of the cross, of Christ crucified. And what Paul's going to go on to now is really focus in on this wisdom. Uh, so we'll read through it. Uh, if you've got Bibles open, that'll be good. It'll be up on the screen too. But the most fundamental thing that Paul starts with about this wisdom is that it doesn't come from us doesn't come from us. This wisdom comes from God. It's his wisdom. So verse 6 of chapter 2, we do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, uh, but not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that's been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. So friends, this is the most fundamental thing about this wisdom the most fundamental thing, it's not something we come up uh, with ourselves. It's not something that we come up, it's a wisdom that comes down to us from God. Is, uh, Paul calls it a mystery there, did you notice that? He calls it a mystery. Uh, it doesn't mean that it's just, it's kind of spooky. Um, 
Or it, does, it doesn't mean it's only for really super intelligent people. All it means there is that something, it's something that was hidden, but now has been revealed. It'd be a little bit like trying to, uh, you trying to guess the name of my family dog when I was a kid. Okay, you could try. I've never heard this name and any other dog, so I doubt you get it. You could try to figure it out. I don't. Did anyone want to have a go? Any guesses? Fluffy? No. Good guess though. No. Any other guesses? Apollo. <laughs> Apollos. <laughs> Paul. <laughs> Cephas. <laughs> no, we, we could keep going on and on. I don't think you'll ever get it. I'm not going to tell you. Uh, you can come and ask me later, maybe. But the point is, it's not a mystery because it's hard to understand or really deep. It's a mystery because it's something you can't know unless I reveal it to you. Unless I reveal it to you. Should I tell you? Do you want to? I'll reveal it to you. Okay, the, dog, the dog's name was Rastus. That was my dog's name when I was growing up. I've never heard another dog like it. I don't know why it's called Rastus. But that's not something you would ever figure out on your own unless... I or someone in my family revealed that to you, right? The great mystery that was hidden to the world from ages past was was this. How could God bring about his good purposes for his creation, for his fallen creation? How, How could God restore a sinful humanity to himself? How could he be both just and so punish sin and at the same time gracious and rescue his people. That was a great mystery. It started to be unveiled through the Old Testament, but it wasn't until Jesus that it was fully revealed. And the point is this great mystery destined for our glory before time began, this great mystery has now been made clear to the world in the cross of Jesus Christ. It's not a mystery anymore. So the question is, why doesn't everyone see it? Why doesn't everyone see it? Why can one people hear, one person, why can one person hear about Jesus, maybe come along to church, hear about Jesus, and think it is just the most wonderful thing for them, and another person sitting right next to them think, this is boring, <laughs> and maybe even this is just foolish and stupid. What's going on? Why? What's going on there? That's, that's what Paul goes on to talk about. That's what Paul goes on to And the first thing he says is that, well, actually, no one can see it. No one can see it. It's not just that some people have the innate ability to see this and others don't. No one has the innate ability to see this, at least not on our own. Uh, verse 8, none of the rulers of this age understood it. None. For if they had, they wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory. And it's not just the rulers who didn't see it. It's totally beyond any human comprehension. Paul quotes, uh, goes on to quote from the Old Testament book of Isaiah. He says, however, as, as it's written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, no one, can, <laughs> what no human mind can possibly think up, the things God has prepared. Isn't that lovely? The things God has prepared for those who love him. That's a beautiful last line, but it's actually a bit of a confronting thing that's being said here, right? It sort of leaves us all in a bit of a bad situation. None of us can see this wisdom for what it is on our own. 
None of us can achieve it. We can't think our way up to it. We can't meditate our way down to it. We can't travel our way around to it. No matter how many years you spend searching on your own, you will never find it. So like I said, if you went searching and I hadn't revealed it to you, you could probably, you could probably find out the name of my dog. You might track down my parents or something. But no matter how persistent or clever you are, you will never figure out this wisdom on your own. It's a pretty humbling thing. But friends, that is exactly the point. That's exactly the point. This wisdom, seeing and trusting in the cross of Christ for what it is, it isn't something any human can achieve on their own. It's not something that we can achieve. It is something that can only be received from God. It's not a human achievement. It's not something we achieve. It's something we receive. That's what he goes on to talk about. And that's actually really the big point of this chapter. Uh, The rest of chapter 2, as we go on, that's really, uh, if you sort of boil it down, that's really what Paul's talking about. So he says in verse 9, what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. Verse 10, these are the things God has revealed to us by his Spirit. These are the things God has revealed to us by his Spirit. There's heaps in here, and I know our home groups have had a great time sort of um, digging into this passage. We're not going to cover all the details today. But the big thing Paul's saying is that this wisdom of the cross is something that you can only see, just like you could only know my dog's name was Rastus if I revealed it to you. This wisdom of the cross is something that you can only see if God reveals it to you by his Spirit. Uh, you look down at verse 12, it says this, What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. So th- uh, this is big stuff, I think. If you're a Christian, it's not because you figured it out. If God didn't choose to work in your heart by his spirit and reveal his wisdom to you, you would still think that the cross is foolishness. It sort of levels us all, doesn't it? It's a wonderfully leveling reality. It also means if you're not yet a Christian and you're here with us today, which is so great, we love having um, all, all people come and join us and explore the way of Jesus. But if you're not yet a Christian, the message of Jesus dying on a cross will remain a mystery to you until God's Spirit reveals it to you. Until God's Spirit reveals it to you. It's really important to investigate Jesus, to explore him. And we run courses to help you do that. And we'll be doing some more next year. But at the end of the day, you can know all the facts about Jesus. Uh, You'll be able to say, okay, I get it. Jesus died on the cross for sin. Yep, good. But, But to say he died there for my sin, in my place, I don't deserve it. I'm so thankful and I want to live with him as my Lord. That is not something that you can achieve on your own. 
It's something that God does to you and in you by his spirit. And that's, that's why the way into becoming a Christian is always, it's not, it's not through working your way up. The way into becoming a Christian is always through prayer. Through prayer, through humbly coming to God and asking him to do for you what you can't do for yourself. What you can't do for yourself. And the great thing is, the great thing is, friends, that God promises that those who ask genuinely and humbly, those who ask will receive. Uh, he says in the Gospels, Jesus says, talks about this, if, a human fa- if human fathers, even though we're evil, if we know how to give good gifts to our kids, how much more will the, the God the Father give his Holy Spirit to those who ask him? He will give if in genuine humility you ask him. Uh, but if in the pride of your heart you will not do that. The the cross is just going to remain a foolish mystery to you. So, uh, friends, this wisdom, it's something that has to be received from God, from God's Spirit. Uh, do Do you notice how God gives this to us? As you read through, as we had it read through to us, and maybe you've picked this out in home groups too, how does this come to us? It's from God's Spirit, it comes to us through words, through God's word. Uh, verse um, 13, uh, Paul, this is the Apostle Paul speaking. He says, this is what we speak. I think Paul's talking about himself and the other apostles here as they uh, teach the, the message of the gospel. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with spirit-taught words. I think what Paul's talking about, yeah, like as I said, is him and himself and the other apostles. In another letter to the Ephesian church, he uses the same kind of language. should be on the screen too from Ephesians 3. He talks about this, this mystery, same kind of language, this mystery made known to me by revelation. Verse 4 talks about the mystery of Christ. And then look at verse 5, this mystery which was not made known to people in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. So, do you get the picture? This mystery is revealed to Paul and the other apostles and prophets, and they taught it in these spirit-taught words. It came to the people through these words. And those are the same words that we now have in our Bibles. In our Bibles. That Bible that is sitting in your lap is the Spirit's book. It is the Spirit's book containing God's words given through his prophets and apostles. So, friends, how can you know this true wisdom? How can you share in what Paul calls at the end of this chapter, the mind of Christ? How can you do that? Independence upon the Spirit, hearing the Spirit's words. In the Bible, and praying that as you carefully read it and receive it in the community of his people, God would show you how the cross of Christ is at the center of it all, and by his spirit he would take that word and more and more sink it deeper into you and transform your life more and more. Because this wisdom of the cross, 
It's not something that you just people come to see once and then move on from. Uh, it's something that Christ's people can and should grow in every day, more and more, to never finish growing in it. Uh, that's what Scott and Paul so worked up in that little section in chapter 3, the first bit of chapter 3. Uh, the Corinthian church should have been growing in this wisdom, <clears throat> living more and more, shaped by the message of the cross. But they haven't been. And Paul uses this great image. He says, uh, when he came to them in, in, in verse 1, he says, brothers and sisters, you can kind of hear him pleading with them, right? He, he, he addresses them on a level playing field. He says, brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit. They, they had the Spirit. They, they um, had seen the reality of the gospel, but they, they weren't living by that gospel. They weren't living by the Spirit. So Paul couldn't address them as people who were living by the Spirit, but as people who were still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. I wonder, that's, I mean, that's completely normal, right? That's to be expected. Uh, you don't shove solid food down a baby's mouth, of course. Uh, and when, when these guys first became Christians... Paul, Paul knew there were all sorts of things that they would have to work through as they went on in the Christian life. All sorts of ways in which the culture of Corinth had deeply shaped them, that it was going to take ages for God's Spirit to sort of mould them out of and, and change them in. He knew that, but he didn't focus on all those things when he first came to them. He, he, want, he fed them the milk of the gospel, the first things of the gospel. He wanted them to know and trust Jesus and that's completely appropriate. That was completely appropriate for them. They were infants in Christ. The issue is, Paul's writing to them again, and he's saying, that's what you, you should have grown by now. The message of the gospel should have changed the way that they were living together. They're still acting like babies. Uh, there's a great sort of set of memes on the internet. Someone with good Photoshop skills has made these photos. We'll just flick through them. Uh, they're, they're called face swapping, and they're a bit disturbing. So we'll just look very quickly at them and move on. <clears throat> Can you see what's going on? There's uh, adults whose heads are swapped with babies. It's very disturbing. Uh, and it's hilarious. It's hilarious because it's so unthinkable. Right? It's unthinkable. <laughs> But, but what, see what Paul's saying here? He's saying the Corinthians are kind of like that. Uh, it was understandable that they were infants in Christ when he first came to them. But what's really unthinkable is that they would stay infants. Verse 2, he goes on and says, Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? So Paul's not saying here there's this kind of new secret knowledge that they need to grow into, to move on from the gospel into the deeper things. That, that, that would actually undermine everything he's been talking about up to this point. He's not kind of trying to create this new tier of Christians. No, he's saying the same message that he came preaching, the message of Christ crucified, that message that is so simple that anyone can understand it, 
It's so simple that it looks foolish in the wisdom of the world. That message is actually the deep, transforming wisdom and power of God. And growing in maturity as a Christian isn't sort of moving on from that. It's growing deeper and deeper in the gospel. Deeper and deeper. Letting the gospel of Christ crucified shape every part of your life. And that's a a process that is never finished in this life. But it's a process that God, by his spirit, wants to do in each of us individually, in you. He wants to do this in you. And he wants to do it in us together, corporately, as a church family. That's what God, by his spirit, is doing among us. There's so much we could go into here. It does, this touches on every part of life. But I just want to finish by focusing in on the issue that Paul is focused on in this section of his letter. Uh, it's the issue, as we've seen all the way along, is this issue of the, the gospel-centred unity of Christ's church and the way in which that was being threatened by worldly wisdom seeping into the community of the church. The gospel-centred unity of Christ's church was being undermined by this immaturity in, in the people of God in Corinth as they, let, they listened more to the voices of the world out there than the voice of God in Scripture, uh, the voice of the apostle. They, they were being more shaped by that, and that showed how they were still infants in Christ. So this is really helpful for us as a church family. Uh, and like all families, we go through strains in relationships, like, just like the church in Corinth did. The question is, I think this passage puts to us is, how are you going to respond in that moment with real spiritual wisdom? How, would, how will you respond in that moment with real... Sp- are you being more shaped by those communities of worldly wisdom that you're a part of? Now that you can get really worked up in, in conversation, are you being more shaped by that than by the wisdom of the gospel? Worldly wisdom says, take up your cause and defend yourself. The wisdom of the cross? Well, it says, take up your cross and deny yourself. The wisdom of the world says, cut yourself off from difficult people. The wisdom of the cross says, you are a difficult person. (laughs) And God came to you in self-giving love. So how could you hold that back from anyone else? Worldly wisdom says, find a comfortable group who all agree about everything. The wisdom of the cross says, you are bound together not by your own decision, but by the spirit of the living God. Where I want to finish, I think we, we can't do better than in dependence on God's spirit, to hear the wisdom of the cross that is given to us in God's word. So what I'm going to do to finish this, I'm going to sort of give a scattering of this cross-shaped wisdom uh, taken from the New Testament. I've adapted this from a prayer that I shared on Facebook, uh, on our Facebook group during the week. So if you're on there, I'd really encourage you to go have a look at that. Um, go Go and have a look. But what would it look like for you to grow more and more? 
more and more in true cross-shaped spiritual wisdom, especially for us to grow together as the family in, in real gospel unity. What would that look like? What would it look like for us as a church family to grow together towards maturity in Christ in the unity of the faith that was once and for all delivered by the Spirit to his holy prophets and apostles? Well, here's, here's this scattering of exhortations from the wisdom of God in his word that I want to leave you, us together with. It would look like this. It would look like us loving one another with brotherly affection and sisterly affection and outdoing one another in showing honour. It would look like keeping loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. It would look like living in harmony with one another, making every effort to maintain the unity of the, of the gospel or the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. It would look like agreeing with one another in the truths of the gospel and living in peace so that the God of love and peace would be with us. It would look like greeting one another with true love, welcoming one another as Christ has welcomed us, bearing one another's burdens and so fulfilling the law of Christ, behaving with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. It would look like being kind to one another and tender-hearted, encouraging one another and building one another up. It would look like submitting to one another out of reverence to Christ, honouring the governing authorities, knowing they are established by God, having confidence in your church leaders and submitting to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. It would look like if one has a complaint against another, forgiving the other as the Lord has forgiven you. It would look like considering how to stir one another up towards love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as we see the day drawing near. It would look like confessing our sins to one another and praying for one another, showing hospitality without grumbling to one another as each has received a gift to use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. It would look like this, to clothe ourselves with humility towards one another, knowing that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Can I pray for us? Let's pray. Our God, we need wisdom, but we don't have it, and we can't find it on our own. We would be so lost without you, without your spirit, who has come to us and given us life. For, Lord, for those who are outside of Christ and still looking in on this, please enliven their hearts and minds by your spirit. Make this word of the cross a rich and deep wisdom and power for them. For all of us, Lord, keep changing us day by day in this wisdom. Uh, help us not to continue on as infants, but to keep maturing day by day, all of us, until you return. And especially, Lord, we pray for our church family, 
that we would live in this cross-shaped humility and grace and love towards one another and that that would be a great witness to the world of the transforming power of the gospel. And we pray that for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.